0: Welcome to Reputation Matters, I'm Creighton Webb. I'm excited to bring you part two of my conversation with former White House staffer and Assistant Education Secretary, Holly Kuzmich. President Bush had a reputation when he was governor of Texas, at least I had understood, Mm -hmm. of going to the offices of legislators, Mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats, in order to make his case. Is that Mm -hmm. true, and did you see that kind of outreach Um, extend on Capitol Hill as well when he was in the White House. Yeah, I mean, I
1: can't, I've heard the same about, and obviously when he was governor, there was a Democratic um, lieutenant governor, which is a hugely powerful position in the state of Texas. So you have to be willing to work across the aisle uh, when you're in that situation. I, you know, for, for the time at the end, I ran the congressional affairs shop. So it was my job to both proactively and reactively work with every member of Congress who had something to say about what we were doing at the Department of Education. And the tone we had was like, you're going to deal with everyone with respect. You're going to return their phone calls. They're going to be timely. You can't always give them the answer they want, but half of the battle is just be responsive um, and don't. You know, too many people these days sort of use as strategy is like, I'm just not going to talk to them. Right. And they're not going to like my answer. So I'm really not going to engage. Right. Which to us was not the message that was sent and was the opposite. Like we used that to say, we would always have a strategy. If you're going to roll out a new policy, you know, when do you pre brief the Republicans and the Democrats? Being out of the loop is the worst thing you can do to a member of Congress, is surprise them. Right. Tell them ahead of time, but not too much ahead of time, so that they're not surprised, um, but they at least can't say, well, you didn't, didn't even know. tell me.
0: One more person before we leave your time at the White House I have to ask you about, and that is Carl Rove. Um, known as a brilliant political strategist, love him or hate him, at one point even in a book dubbed "Bush's Brain" mm-hmm. um, was the he, architect. Yeah, yeah, the architect, uh, as as brilliant and as important in the Bush White House as it's perceived.
1: Powerful is not necessarily the right word. Like under, like had a big role, you know, and was very good at it does his homework. I mean, as we've talked about, that man is a walking encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. And so um, he always underst- like he, he really did his work and he built a good team. And so in that sense, he's a, he was a very smart guy and he really did, you know, architect a 2004 uh, winning election. That you know he deserves a lot of credit for.
0: I've seen him speak, and it's uh, th- thanks to you, I believe, if memory serves. It, it, it's almost like a cartoon where you you know you see the 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 drawer from yes. the library you know index card pulling out of his brain, and you can see him th- thumbing through it, and he pulls the immediate card you know from thirty years ago. Yes,
1: um, or an election from the eighteen hundreds. I mean, he just knows presidential history. He knows election history. He can. So to the extent that he was giving advice based on history, he really understood like when did things work and what worked about it and when did they not? He wasn't sort of just making all of this up. And um, what's also what what a lot of people don't realize about Carl, too, is he's really funny and has a great sense of humor. Mm. And there were a lot of people in the White House who had a great sense of humor, including President Bush. And they cared a lot about making sure the workplace was just as fun as it was serious. Yeah, And he contributed to that. In, in significant ways
0: but it couldn't have always been roses and fun no um, I, i'm sure the stress any dark days no, in particular well, no well or... i
1: mean those last couple months when <clears throat> you know the financial crisis was happening i mean you know obviously there was september 11th and there was hurricane katrina and then there was the financial crisis and The everybody you could look everybody knew what the approval numbers looked like. They were low, right in the twenties, I think. Maybe by the end of the administration, people were tired, but we also had this huge sense of urgency on the financial crisis to to make sure the economy was not going to go in the tank and we weren't going to have a major depression. So that was a hard period. In general, because the Hill was not, you know, President Bush is trying to sell the Hill on bailing out Wall Street, right. which is not something he ever wanted to do. He only did it for the good of the overall economy, but knowing that that policy decision was an unfortunate one, he had to be selling. So, everything about it was sort of a, a not a very fun time. Right, and we were trying to dutifully transition the government in a way that we had all been asked to be good stewards, get transition memos together, meet with the incoming Obama administration all while this is happening and all while people are kind of like, aren't you done yet?
0: So you mentioned the financial crisis. Next step for you was actually going into business as a consultant with Mm -hmm. former Secretary Spellings. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you all did was the 10,000 Small Businesses program with Goldman Sachs. You know, the cynic would say that Goldman did it just for the reputational. Bounce, having been the one one of the architects of it, how do you see it?
1: Timing was probably not coincidental, right? In sure. the sense that um, uh, they realized, like, we got to be smart about our next kind of big philanthropic strategy out of our foundation. One of the things I did, I I very much respect about them is they decided as a firm, they created a program called 10,000 Women, which was the first one they had. And that was pre-financial crisis, teaching women about entrepreneurship around the world. And then 10,000 small businesses came in 2009, which was domestic here in the US, supporting small business owners here. They decided instead of, as a firm, instead of going out and finding organizations, doing interesting work and funding them, we're gonna think about what assets we have and go build something in communities across this country. And that's how they did it, and that's what we got tasked with doing. But you're right, they're, they're number one in any time the name Goldman Sachs is kind of a, you know, the white shoe banking firm in New York City that most common people in this country have no affiliation with and view as, you know, working with sort of the elites. Mm-hmm. Um, then you pile on a financial crisis where Goldman Sachs and so many of the other big banks had to be part of the bailout Right. And people were not happy about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, But what they did was they put together they had their own internal team and then they had to put together a whole kind of group of people to help think about how do we go do this in local communities and convince people we're not just do we're not just going to do it for our name, we're here to actually work with you and build something.
0: Have impact.
1: And it took a team. I mean, we had to, we weren't the only ones doing it. We worked with their internal team and They built an advisory committee that included the National Urban League and the US Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and a lot of organizations that otherwise probably wouldn't have been working with Goldman Sachs but mattered in terms of supporting small business owners Mm -hmm. in communities across this country. We would go work with the mayor in every case and have to go figure out what's the landscape here what college we would always work with a community college like who's the right cast of characters to put together and we had to spend a lot of time on the ground because that matters you can't just swoop in and say we're here to help right you had to build relationships at that local level and and that was a lot of fun to do yeah um the good news was they were willing to put their capital behind it too yeah yeah they spent 500 million dollars on it in the first you know, tranche of the program, and they've now hit I don't know how many 13,000, probably at least mm-hmm. businesses across the country.
0: So, you were shortly thereafter asked to be the executive director of the George W. Bush Institute, which is on the campus of Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, and also connected to the Bush Library. Mm-hmm. Well, if if memory serves, there was a little bit of controversy as it related to the Bush Institute, yeah, and some questions from the university as well yep. as as well as others as to what would this thing be. Yep. Uh, how how did you decide you were willing to take on this role, and what was the role?
1: Yeah, well, the, the, a lot of that, you know, the Bush Center got announced as coming to Dallas and SMU prior to the end of the Bush administration. I don't remember what year it was. Yeah. Um and so a lot of the controversy was at that time mm-hmm. and that was amongst the faculty at SMU who were very worried i think this would have happened at any academic institution it's not specific to SMU where they were very worried it was going to be a, a highly political operation mm-hmm. and they were not happy they broadly speaking right i'm sure there were a wide variety of faculty who felt a variety of different things but yes there was a there was a group of faculty in the 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 team who who preceded me had to work really hard with the leadership at SMU and the faculty to sort of make their case that we're not we're going to be a nonpartisan institution, um, uh, and they had to do a lot of person to person interaction, right, and meetings on campus. They also had neighborhood the neighborhood who was really worried about the physical facility mm-hmm. and the campus and the traffic and all the things that come with like a big new you know, center in the middle of your neighborhood. So they had to deal with the very tactical day-to-day. Grassroots. Like, you're just coming to my neighborhood and I'm worried about all this traffic we're gonna have to deal with.
0: Working with President Bush, the president yeah. in the White House, and President Bush, the former president, same, different? Different. How? Uh,
1: well, I mean, similar in some ways, right? Like, the 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 thing I feel very blessed about is that i worked for him in office so i understood how does he think about the policy issues he cares about what are the values what drives his decision making how does he engage on education and economic growth and global health i had a grounding in all of that work so that was very helpful um what's different is the platform is entirely different and and part of that is you know his decision as i talked about earlier where he did not want to be commenting and involved in current issues of the day per se right Mm -hmm. um but he did also want the institute to be relevant so thinking about how you make an institution relevant the president's still living you want to leverage the fact that he's still active and wants to be out there but doesn't? But he wants you to build this to be long standing, but also be relevant over time. Sort of how that—that's a challenge. How
0: do you do it with him? Yeah. And without him, and despite him, almost. All yes, yeah.
1: all of it, right? And um, and the building itself. When I came, the building was six months old. So even though the institute had been operating for a couple of years, the building itself was new. Number one, I didn't do any of this by myself. We had a great team and we would all kind of conspire on how to think about these things. But this is one of the things that was always, I mean, I got better at it the more I did it in my role at the Bush Institute. But, you know, upon my leaving, I didn't feel like I had cracked the code on this. Like, this is a constant everyday sort of how do you think about the Bush Institute and its engagement as we weighed in on policy issues? Like, what? what's the line that goes too far into Mm -hmm. getting into really current, we chose not to lobby in any way. There's an official line about how you think about that. But then at times, like how do we use his voice and how do we build up and bring on our own team of experts so that we've got our own stable of people who are the ones really bringing relevance to the issues that and we're Did he ever
0: on. weigh in on that, give you any direction, say, no, I'm not going to do that, yes, I, w- I will? Sure. How And what did that sure. look Sure, like?
1: we would meet with him regularly, right? And t- number one, he wanted to know everything we were doing, and he wanted to make sure it felt sort of in the spirit of him and his values. Did he weigh in on the particular sort of programs we would start or— no but he would give us guidance right like and there's a fine line there he was not telling us what to do we wanted him to react to things it was more like we'd bring it to him and let him react would he
0: do everything you asked him to
1: no of course (laughs)
0: not like what do you mean no
1: of course not and i mean he was pretty judicious about um about him personally what is he going to show up at versus what he's not right we a lot of the a lot of the role I had to play was helping the team think about, okay, we're going to go do X. Do we involve him or not? Mm-hmm. And we would have to have a lot of internal conversations about, well, what's his role there? Is he just coming so that you get the cameras to show up? Or does he have a value add to the event and the conversation and the message we're trying to send? And and there were a lot of times where people hadn't thought that through and we really had to sort of push on that and say like, okay, we're going to do this event, but this is not right for him to show up at. Mm -hmm. And as you might imagine, sort of leading a team where we worked across issue areas, they all of course wanted him at every one of their events. Sure. And I had to be in a bit of a He's the draw. I had to be the gatekeeper, right? At times to say yes to this and no to this. And here's the priority for the next six months. And that means you have to keep leading your work, but it's not going to be because he's showing up at your event.
0: Yeah. One of the programs that you all were part of was the Presidential Leadership Scholars, is mm-hmm. that the correct name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, namely in partnership with President Clinton. Mm-hmm. Of course, just brief history lesson for for our listeners and viewers, of course it was President Clinton that beat President George W. Yep. Bush's father, President yep. George H.W. Bush in 1992. What was that like to have these two guys working together.
1: Well, it came about because his dad, you know, his dad is a was a very gracious human being and did not let that defeat um, mean that he did not become friends with Bill Clinton. And that came about in a variety of ways. It really became true when they were um, when they were put together to go work on disaster relief issues around yeah. the world, right yeah. And they would literally spend time on the plane together, get to know each other, Um, And they took on sort of a father-son relationship that Bill Clinton would talk about to this day. So that started. And then President Bush 43 and President Clinton were often doing speaking, private speaking events together post-presidency. So they started to get to know each other better. And despite being very different people, they get along and they had a good time. And so part of what Margaret Spellings, whose idea this was, she saw that she saw that Bill Clinton was close to his dad, that that George W. and Bill Clinton were starting to become friends and built a relationship post-presidency. And also the fact that, um, you know, when we included, there are three presidential centers and foundations in Texas more than any other state in the country.
0: Yeah, LBJ. LBJ, H- HW, H-W, H-W and, and George W. w-, w- yeah.
1: yeah. And then Bill Clinton's is close by in Arkansas. There's two Republicans, two Democrats. Five, over the past, you know, 50 years, those have been consequential times. So that was sort of the theory yeah. of putting those four together. And when Margaret went to President Bush and talked to him about it, said, "What do you think?" He said, "Well, let me call President Clinton right now," like he was just like, "Okay, wow. let's we're on it. Let's do this." So wow. the two of them talked and said, "We'll do this."
0: Fantastic. Go work it out. Yeah, bipartisanship <laughs> at work. Yeah. Right. Um, how much does President Bush's legacy play into the decisions as leader of the George W. Bush Institute? Is it all around his legacy?
1: No. No. And he he would not want to hear that. Nor It wasn't. Nor would he want that to be sort of out in the ether. He wants it to be forward-looking and yeah. problem-solving and not about being backwards looking. Um, And so it's all about, you know, building sort of teams and issues that they're working on that maybe today are things that he never addressed in office, right? I mean, we have issues at the Bush Center that in the Bush Institute that he wasn't necessarily knee deep in tackling while he was president, which is the whole point of having an institute that's more forward looking and lives long beyond his time in office and his time even alive as a you know outside the presidency
0: yeah so now you've gone to the draper roper kaplan
1: draper richards kaplan sorry draper richards
0: kaplan managing director of texas and beyond yeah what's your role now what are you doing
1: so we find fund and support social entrepreneurs all over the world um and help them grow and scale and and part of what sort of led me to this was I worked in government for a very long time and saw the places where there is a particular role for government and the places where government is not so good at solving problems. And we all know that we need, you know, healthy private and nonprofit institutions to really be driving change as well. I had done a lot of work on leadership issues and leadership programs and things like 10,000 small businesses where I got to work and sort of. Help people outside of government think about how we have a healthy, you know, private sector and nonprofit sector in this country. And um, at DRK, we find these early stage, high impact, highly scalable organizations that are solving social problems in, in outside of the government sector, but sometimes by partnering with government and. Um, And they wanted to do more in this state. And so I get to lead all of that for them and figure out who we're going to go support and how we're going to do that and give them money and serve on their board. And so it's fun to think about. I've gotten to dive into water issues, for example, which is a hugely important issue in the state. Yep. Um, And think about how a nonprofit organization can help use water markets and water transactions to move water in ways that, The public sector wants this to be happening, but it's really complicated and somebody has to help figure it out. And so the organization I work with is doing that.
0: So bring us full circle. Department of Education, White House, Bush Institute, Consulting, Congress, Capitol Hill, all of it. Of all the lessons you've learned, um, more than just about reputation, but about storytelling and brand building. Yeah. What's the what's the number one lesson you've learned that you've tried to carry with you now to DRK?
1: Um, it's that you should know your values and let those lead you because the reputation and the communications and the marketing and everything else it is going to feel forced if you don't understand what you stand for and what you believe in. And yeah. that's going to differ for every person, but that's, you know, when I see sort of authentic leaders and people who um, uh, when I think about reputation, they know exactly who they are, mm-hmm. and that's what drives the way they then think about their reputation and and sort of how they position themselves out in the world.
0: Have the true north, yep. or center, and then yep. the rest will follow. Yep. Okay, Holly, we've got a lightning round right? So some questions that I have. Do I get to pass if I want to? Sure, of course. Phone a friend. Some questions that I have that are just for you based on your experience. And then some questions that we ask every guest. Okay. First, uh, favorite room in the White House? Uh,
1: The Oval Office. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. Follow up. Best kept secret about the white house there's a secret room or a compartment or
1: well there's the uh, i don't know that this one's secret i'll say two. Um, the bowling alley i mean i think most people know there's a bowling alley in the white house um uh but not everybody uh uh-huh. and then number two i always loved and i suspect this is still true but it was particularly true when laura bush was first lady there's there's a room on the sort of ground level that's the library, and there's an actual Dewey Decimal System, like a box that has the Dewey Decimal System, so you can go find all the books according to the Dewey Decimal System oh, in fantastic. this library room of the White House. Oh,
0: I love it. Yeah, which, okay.
1: you know, she's a former librarian, so, so that was fits. very appropriate.
0: Favorite exhibit at the George W. Bush Library?
1: Um, well, we did one with Oscar de la Renta, what, that was like eight years ago. And so that was really fun to have all of these fabulous dresses from Oscar's collection here in Dallas.
0: You can't say outside of the Bush Library, favorite presidential library.
1: Outside Mm -hmm. of, the Reagan Library is pretty cool because of Air Force One. And it's in the mountains in California. And I don't, have you ever been there? Yes. yes. I mean, that view out the window is pretty amazing. They've got some pretty good real estate out there.
0: That's fantastic. Okay, Uh, besides President Bush, favorite American president?
1: I mean, Abraham Lincoln.
0: Outside of Laura Bush or Barbara Bush, (laughs) favorite first lady?
1: I think Michelle Obama. Yeah. She just was so, you know, she related to people so Have you met her? I have met her. She's tall. We're both tall. We bonded over being
0: (laughs) 5'11". Favorite George W. Bush painting. He's a painter. We didn't talk about that today.
1: Yes. Um, I'm lucky enough to have one in my home. Do you really? So it's the one in my home. It's an abstract uh, floral. It's his cold wax method.
0: I love it. Did you, did you have uh, we we were talking before the recording started that Ari Flasher, his his nickname from President Bush was Ari Bob. Did you have a nickname? No,
1: he would just kind of say Halls. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have like a he didn't turn that into but Halls Halls. Hey Halls. That was it
0: <laughs> okay? So here are the other questions. What was your favorite subject in school? Math. What did you major in in college?
1: Political science and urban studies
0: oh favorite holiday thanksgiving uh favorite
1: hobby sports i'm just like a rabid sports fan of all kinds yeah chicago cubs indianapolis colts the notre dame fighting irish you know
0: you're from the midwest
1: i'm from the can you tell
0: yes uh favorite guilty pleasure
1: reality television
0: Ooh, favorite reality oh the real housewives
1: i can't believe i admit i watch it but i do
0: <laughs> i love that some of the most intelligent people i know <laughs> you among them watch it uh your favorite consumer brand
1: oh gosh so many well i don't know okay this is a particularly recent one i'm a big fan of kind bars Okay. And we just had Daniel Lubetzky two weeks ago at the Bush Center at our PLS reunion. I love him. I love him as a human being, too. And I really love Kind Bars. They're good.
0: Okay. Uh, favorite movie? Hoosiers. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's the first. Um, favorite day of the week? Saturday. Yeah. Uh, what is your hidden talent or superpower?
1: Oh, um,. Uh, I'm really good at directions. Like I've got an internal compass, you know, to always be able to sort of say like north is this direction.
0: I have to ask you this back on your personalized ones. Favorite person you met while working in the White House?
1: While working in the White House, can I do after the White House? Sure, sure. And I have two. Okay. Uh, The Dalai Lama. Okay. And Bono.
0: Wow. Any story behind those?
1: Well, the Dalai Lama, we hosted the Dalai Lama for a visit in 2016, maybe, at the Bush Center, and I got to um, work with his, the whole, you know, the Dalai Lama has a team too, Um, got to work with his team on what that visit looked like, and learned that he gets up at three in the morning and meditates for three hours Wow! every morning. His diet is some really kind of crazy diet that... The rest of us, you know, so we had to have special food for him. And but he and President Bush their share a birthday, and so they've always had this like very funny, close bond with a shared birthday. So I remember we had a joint birthday cake for the Dalai Lama and wow. President Bush at lunch.
0: Oh, I love that! Yeah, and Bono called and, him Prez. There's a letter in the in and the- Bono,
1: of course, we gave Bono an award because of all of his work on AIDS relief with President Bush, and um, so I got to meet him pr- twice actually. Um, and I have a great picture of me talking to Bono, and I don't know what we were talking about, but I'm like, I have my head back, and I'm like laughed at, laughing, right. um, he said something very funny to you, me. You I probably, wish I remember what it was.
0: You were probably saying you still hadn't found what you were looking
1: for or something <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, so related but last, if you could pick one person, or alive or dead, that you could have dinner with, who would that be?
1: I have had the opportunity to talk to her a lot, But what we have never gotten to talk about, and it's Condi Rice. Uh I would love to really talk about the sports side with her because she's now part owner of the Broncos. She's such an amazing golfer, the first female member of Augusta. I love that part of what I sort of affiliate with her is that she's a brilliant mind on foreign policy issues. And then she also has this side of sports love, which I have too. So I'd actually wanna take her to dinner and talk to her solely about the sports piece. Because all my conversations have been serious and I'd love to be able to do that. Be her friend. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and have her bring me along. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Holly Kuzmich, you get that reputation matters. Thank you for sharing your fantastic stories from your days at the White House, the Bush Institute. And thank you all for joining us for Reputation Matters and we'll see you next time.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Reputation Matters. Find us at sunwestpr.com or your favorite podcast streaming service. Until next time.